we say we're going up market, but what we're doing really is we're kind of dipping our toe in the water to see what that entails and how well we fit in there. Like we definitely see a lot of opportunity and we're excited about it, but it's certainly not a, a done deal. It's like, we can't just one day serve a certain set or cohort of customers and then the next day serve a new one. Welcome back to Tiny Seed Tales, a series where I follow a founder through their struggles, victories, and failures as they build their startup. I'm your host, Rob Walling. I'm a serial entrepreneur and co-founder of Tiny Seed, the first startup accelerator designed for bootstrappers. We're back with Brian and Scotty, the married couple who are co-founders of Gather, a SaaS product made for interior designers. If you're just joining us, you should go back and listen to the previous episode, which explains more about their product and who they are. In this episode, you'll see what happens when co-founders are able to step back from working in their business and start working on their business due to their inclusion in the Tiny Seed Accelerator. After looking at their market and competitors and talking with mentors and other founders in the batch, they've decided to take the product up market. There are a lot of venture-backed startups in the lower end of their market, and it became obvious that there is more opportunity up market for a number of reasons. Number one, it will increase their average revenue per customer. Number two, it should decrease churn. And three, the products at the higher end of the market tend to be older, crufty pieces of software that aren't used to innovating or really having competition. So they're talking about making several changes, including three new hires. I'd love to start this week by asking Scotty, how are you feeling about Gather this week? I'm feeling really good about things this week. We've had a lot going on. Things really feel like they're they're moving you know, and it's always easy to judge how well the business is doing based on how much new MRR we have or how many new signups, you know, uh, trial signups we have. But I think the last two weeks for us, it's been just about setting things in motion with some new hires and some new processes that we're putting in place. So, so I feel, I feel really good. You're saying that MRR may not be growing off the off the chain, but you're just feeling good about accomplishments. And is that something, I mean, are you normally motivated more by the growth of the business metrics? Or are you often, you know, even if the business metrics like revenue are flat, are do you tend to be satisfied with just getting stuff done like you have been? Well, I think that's like a little bit of the change that we're seeing happening. It's normally, for me, I think, and I think Brian probably too, our mood is based on like our mood swings are, you know, how much did we grow this month? Did we grow at all? Did we, did we lose some? And so that's always, I think that's always important, always an underlying importance. But, but I think we're, our mindset is shifting a little bit too, to that that's important, but what we're doing to grow the business and make things work smoother internally is also really important, which I feel like up until recently, that's been mostly our focus. It's just like grow, grow, grow. And maybe our processes haven't been defined as well. And as we grow and as we get bigger, those are going to be even more important. So spending the time now to focus on those feels really good. Funny story about about getting too focused on revenue growth. 
my wife and I started a podcast called Zen Founder, and I was on the podcast with her for the first 200 episodes, and now she runs it solo. But one time she was interviewing me about this kind of stuff, like, how are you feeling about your business? And we got into this. It was an intense but fun back and forth. And at some point, I said, you know, MRR growth. That's what I'm thinking about, MRR growth. And she's like, yeah, but what else are you thinking about? And in all seriousness, I said, what else is there? (laughs) And I've listened back to that episode and it almost sounds like I'm joking, but I wasn't like I was so intent on just looking at MRR growth every night. You know, I got the email when the when the Stripe billing would happen that that became my whole world and I lived and died by that number. So I can relate to to (laughs) what you're saying, you know, and to getting almost blinders on. And it's good to be focused on a number and it's good to have a KPI or two, you know, that you're focused on. But I'm curious to dig in, you know, you mentioned two things that you feel like are are being put in place. One is hiring and the other is some business processes. Could you dig into the the hiring? Yeah. So we're we're actually looking at three potential hires right now. One of them is just a, a lead generator, someone to to produce leads and build a list for us. The other one is a VA. And the other one is um, she's really an an industry expert, I guess I would call her. She's she's been in the world of architecture and design. She's a writer. Uh, she's done some some marketing, some copywriting. Um, she used to write blog posts for us. So she's someone that we're bringing on just part time, but to help us with community outreach and um, really nailing down our message, you know, making it speak to the industry more. So having her inputs can be super, super valuable for us in going up market. The industry consultant, she can be business changing. She can, like we used to talk about the difference between a consultant and a contractor, because oftentimes a software developer would say, I'm a consultant or I'm a contractor. Well, what's the difference? Contractor, I know everyone doesn't use this definition, but I've always thought of a contractor as someone, you know, they show up and they do a task and they get paid an hourly rate, whereas a consultant is like an expert. And a consultant knows more than you do or should know more than you do about it and can really, you know, 5X your your thinking. Yeah, I definitely make that that same distinction myself. And she is definitely on the consultant side. And yeah, I, I think a lot about just finding people, you know, that are willing and able and excited to help us that are much better at what they do than what we do. And so she she falls in that category. The developer that we have hired really as a contractor a couple of months ago has also sort of like taken on that consultant role as well. So we have some people in the business now that are adding a lot of value. That's really cool to see because in the past, it's just like, get it done, get this done, get that done. And now it's like people are pushing back on us and giving us valuable insights that we probably wouldn't have come to ourselves. That's way more exciting for me. I would agree. And that's, you hit that with a certain point in your business if it grows and if you want it to continue growing, moving from task-based resources to project-based resources. And and by resources, I mean humans. Task-based hires is probably a better way to say it, to project-based hires. I, I can see how that could be game-changing for you guys. Scotty, did you hire her together or what did that process look like? Yeah, well, initially, I just, we kind of discussed that we, you know, we now have an opportunity with the tiny seed funding that we can think about hiring some higher level people 
to do, you know, just like you said, more project-based things for us. And this hire has always been someone that we really enjoyed working with. She's really smart and she, she knows the industry. And so I just sort of said, why don't I just reach out to her? Initially was thinking of just reaching out and having her write some new blog posts for us that speak more to this upmarket that we're trying to speak to. When I did, she 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 just sort of said, I have I actually have more time than just for writing blog posts. And we sort of had this great conversation about, you know, where we're at with the business right now and how, you know, Brian and I don't come from a marketing background and neither does she, but she has a lot of experience and she's self-educated around it and really enjoys that piece um, as it fits into with her writing and copywriting. So we sort of had this quiet nudge in the conversation about, well, maybe you could help us. And, you know, so I went back to Brian and just said, I think she'd be great at this and she has some space in her life for it. So, so it was kind of a mutual hire for sure. We're just getting things started with her. So hopefully it works out. It makes it easy that you've worked with her before so that there's it's not really a job opening where you post and you get 50 resumes and you have to vet everyone. This sounds kind of more like a no-brainer. Scotty mentioned that the second thing they've been focused on for the last couple of weeks have been some new business processes. My role has been reaching out to customers, really customer success. But to be truthful, in the beginning, I didn't really understand what that meant. I think I mentioned in the last episode that my background is interior design. That's the industry that I was in for 20 years before we started Gather. And so coming into Gather and trying to just figure out my, find my footing and my role, I always knew that it would be with the customers because I speak their language and I understand their, their struggles and what they need. But from a business, from a SaaS perspective, you know, bringing customer success to gather was, was not really on my radar. So I was doing more of customer support, you know, reaction in our in-app chat, responding as quick as possible, being as helpful as possible. But I'm now starting to realize that we, what we really need is a customer success plan where we're tracking KPIs and we're really following the customer through their journey and, it's not just, okay, great, now they subscribed and we can move on. It's, it's keeping them as a customer and, and keeping them, making sure they're still continuing to find value in the product. So that's something that I am starting to dive into and educate myself on. When we recorded this episode last year, Gather was on track to have their best month ever in terms of MRR. Brian has been putting in work to make the product ready to move up market so it can support use by larger teams. But this week, Scotty and Brian ran into something that often happens when you're chasing larger contracts from bigger customers, a long and frustrating sales cycle. So we had a potential enterprise deal. I sent her a quote. She was very excited. They were wanting 40 to 50 seats. Um, that's what she had me quote. And we scheduled a call. And the first thing she said to me was, well, I talked to my boss and he thinks it's too expensive. So that was really, that was disappointing to hear because I felt like it was a fair price for, you know, the product and for the value. It seemed, seemed like a fair price to me, but that made me realize that they, they didn't find the value. Um, and so that the, the price was too high for them. 
did you go back to her with a different price? Did you negotiate? Well, so basically what she said was, and, and initially she did hop in our trial, but she didn't really, she didn't do very much. She did enough to, to get a basic understanding of what we, what we do. And I'd given her a demo. So she knew what we did, or what it was capable of. And she was very excited about the possibilities. And then when we were talking, she said, I think what we're going to do is just, they have several teams in their company. And so they were just going to start their design team on Gather, which was going to be eight users. And so that basically falls into one of our tiered plans. She said, we'll start with the eight. And then if, if we see the value to add the rest of the company, then we'll come back to you maybe in a, you know six months to a year and talk about an enterprise plan for everybody. Yeah, so that's kind of a sigh, right? Because it's yeah, it's a long it's a long sales cycle if you're if you're looking for a big sale. Before we hung up, that was what she said. Okay, we'll sign up for our team plan, and then you know we would set up times for me to onboard the team. So I followed up with her, and you know sent her my calendar and thanked her for her time and did, did all that, and then she just completely went dark. So I'm following up with her again today, but it's been. It's been a week, yeah. Kind of ghosted you. <laughs> she totally bummer. ghosted me. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. Um, that was. That was actually a very low point. Was, you know, we we thought, wow. I mean, it almost felt too good to be true. To be honest, that that was so easy. You know. <laughs> yeah. And so you went from like the high height of wow, forty or fifty seats. You sent this. Send this proposal. You know, MRR is gonna is gonna jump noticeably yeah. down to essentially. First getting let down to eight, and then now there's a possibility of, of literally zero, of, of wasted time, you know? How do you personally deal with those types of setbacks? Because we all, we all experience these kinds of setbacks when you're, when you're doing a startup, and different people process them differently based on upbringing and just how they handle that type of, of letdown. It's disappointing, of course, and I feel the, the good news is I didn't spend a ton of time with her. If it had been months and months of courting and lots of phone calls, and maybe it would have been more of a letdown. Like I said, it felt a little too too easy. Maybe I was almost skeptical. This is too easy, you know. It definitely feels disappointing. But I mean, I will reach out to her again. I'm I'm not convinced that it's uh, that it's totally dead in the water. Um, I'll I'll continue to reach out to her until I get a no. We're we're definitely not interested, and and I'll just. We'll just keep plugging along and, you know, I'll really try to dig into the why. Was it was it just the pricing? It can't just be the pricing. It's probably more. You know, there's there's something we're missing or something we're not offering that they really need. Your response tells me that you are an optimist because you just talked about the yeah. silver lining and then <laughs> that it's not done yet. Yeah, no, it's and it's great. That tells a lot about who you are. I feel like you have to be an optimist to be an entrepreneur to at least stay an entrepreneur. That's one of the things Brian and I talk about a lot is probably a lot of people would have completely given up on our business by now. Brian, do you look at the situation with essentially the lost enterprise deal? It's not lost yet, but assuming that it doesn't happen or that it comes in at eight seats, do you also look at it as as a pretty optimistic person or do you have do you have a different view than than what Scotty was was talking about no it's kind of the same for me I guess I just like I'm you know super excited about it when these kinds of things come I mean this isn't the first time that like some really cool 
big opportunity comes along and then it kind of disappears or, or is stalled. So I don't know, my, my thought is kind of always like, woohoo, this is going to be great. We're going to, you know, <laughs> we're going to increase all this MRR and this is going to do this and this and this. And then it doesn't come through and I kind of just forget about it um, <laughs> for, yeah. for better or worse, because it's like, I, I have to kind of shield myself from just like let down because that's just like a big part of it. You know, I look at everything kind of as just law of averages, big things like that. Maybe if 10% of them kind of happen, then that's pretty good. And I also just am pretty aware of the fact that we're not very mature when it comes, we're not mature at all when it comes to this stuff. We have no idea what we're doing. But it brings interesting questions to my mind or it kind of moves us in a direction. It's like, hmm, okay, well, if we're going to start talking to more organizations of that size, then we might want to like get our shit together a little bit. And we might want to, I don't know, we might at some point need to consider hiring like a salesperson that knows how to how to deal with that stuff, because we are certainly not that. Yeah, yeah, you can either learn it or hire it. I mean, I think that the nice part about the tiny seed batch is there are several people in there who are quite who are quite good at this. So there's certainly mentorship available, both within the batch and within the mentors, um, if you want it in the short term. But I, I agree, longer term, if it's not something that brings energy to either of you, that would be a role to to hire out once you get, I think you got to get further along, right? Because you need, you need to have that sales some type of sales process dialed to be able to hand it off to an outsider. You forget all the institutional knowledge that you have, you know, and all the love for your product and all the knowledge of the space and how hard that is to communicate to a new, to bringing a new person in. And I would also respectfully disagree when you say you have no idea what you're doing on this, on on the sales stuff, because I, I know it feels out of, probably out of your comfort zone or out of your area of expertise, but I, uh, I think you guys are doing a good job with it you know there are ways to fumble these balls a lot a lot worse i mean there are there are some founders who don't want to do phone calls you know because they're they're too scared to do it or they say dumb things on the phone or they send the proposal a week late or they way overcharge or undercharge or that you know there's all there's a bunch of ways to screw this up that you guys haven't just because it feels uncomfortable i don't i don't want you guys to feel like you're not good at it course, there will be learnings and mistakes along the way as they move their product up market. But similar to Scotty's relentless optimism in the face of a setback, Brian also had a setback this week that turned into a blessing in disguise once he was able to look back on it with a clear head. We don't talk as much about like the technical stuff, but there was some technical setbacks that we had this week. I shouldn't say technical, but we're working through kind of a complicated new feature that we've made some good progress, but we we kind of did all this work in it, both from a design standpoint and a product standpoint, and then also a lot of code was written and kind of on the verge of being shipped. One of our developers, the the guy that uh, that's come on more recently, that's really been, like I mentioned earlier, acting as as much of a consultant as as he is a, a programmer. He kind of raised some issues, and they turned out to be pretty pretty valuable, and it was a good thing that we circled back around and made sure that we were doing things right. But that put us on a setback. We probably, you know, wound up losing five, six business days worth of work on that on that feature, which kind of sucked because I was looking forward to maybe getting the first the MVP of that out this week. And it looks looks like it probably won't be until maybe the end of next week. So that's always disappointing. And but you know it's great it's it's also like a big success in a way too because 
in the past, we would have probably written written it all up only to find out later that there's this sort of like fundamental problem with it. And then we would have launched it and then we would have had to kind of backpedal and figure out how to how to get ourselves out of that hole. So even though it was a setback in the short term, I think in the long term, it was it was a success. And how did it feel the moment that, that he told you this or the moment that you realized, wow, we've we've lost a week's worth of work? Honestly, I just thought, how great is it that I got this guy to 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 bring this to my attention? Honestly, um, you too, you eternal optimists. You're supposed <laughs> to say things like, "I felt terrible." <laughs> you guys are the best. I uh, love it. I did feel bad. I mean, I felt like ah shit. And and my first reaction is to kind of go like, "Oh, you're wrong. I've thought through this." Also, there's a lot of pride because I am a UX designer. I'm supposed to think about everything, you know, and. And some of the issues, a lot of the issues were were UX related. And so a little bit of my ego was offended at first blush. Of course. But then, you know, I really have gotten a lot better. When I, when I was earlier in my career, I used to be really, in retrospect, embarrassingly egotistical and just like, don't question my knowledge and authority and experience and wisdom. It never worked out for me in that part of my career. And so now I'm just like, I take the opposite approach. It's just like everything is, I try to be humble and just be like, I don't know much. So I should probably listen to what other people have to say. And um, so even though at first blush, my ego might be a little dented, it's like in the long run, I just think, well, he's a smart dude. Like I'm sure what he's saying has some merit and not always, like sometimes, like anybody, the thinking is muddy. But the fact that he's able to like come and push back and provide input and value honestly and humbly and straightforward, like that I value tremendously. Big things are happening for Brian and Scotty as they move gather up market, make three new hires, and change their product to fit their new target customers. Next time, we'll catch up with them after they've attended a Tiny Seed retreat and met the other founders in their batch. That's next week on Tiny Seed Tales.